It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Monday, September 12th, 2022. I'm Brooke Schaefer with Raven News. Sitka's voting machines were put through their paces recently. The testing is a routine part of preparing for Election Day that usually occurs behind the scenes in the municipal clerk's office, but this year took place in public. KCAW's Robert Woolsey attended the tabulation testing and filed this report. When it goes through and it shows an overvote, um, because we're testing, I'm just going to we'll cast it through. Sitka has two voting precincts, each equipped with a Dominion voting machine. Sitka's election official, Municipal Clerk Sarah Peterson, is huddled over one of the machines with Deputy Clerk Jess Earnshaw and Administrative Coordinator Holly Dennison. They're making sure the voting machines record all the properly marked ballots and alert officials if there's a problem. In this case, an overvote. The machine gives the voter the option of reviewing their work or starting again with a fresh ballot. So they would look at it and then the voter would decide if they've made maybe a mistake. An overvote means if it's like choose only one, you voted for two or something. Yes. So this one, for example, this test ballot, vote for no more than one. So this person's voted for two. Right. If we do cast it, that race won't count for that individual. Peterson and her team test the machines with both regular ballots and absentee ballots, although they'll stock the voting booths in Sitka with their preferred pen, a type which doesn't bleed through a double-sided ballot. They'll test other pens and pencils on the ballots. They'll make sure all the candidates are listed, all the ballot questions, and that everything is set to zero. Oddly enough, despite the high-powered software in play, the results are printed out on paper like the cash register receipt at the grocery store, and signed by all the officials in the room. This is the routine legwork of election officials in clerks' offices, high school gyms, and city libraries across the country, but it's the first time in Sitka that it's been conducted in front of an audience. No one suggested that Sitka's elections haven't been accurate. Peterson, though, is staying out in front of any complaints. There is added scrutiny, and I wanted to just, even at the local level, if I can ease concerns and logic and accuracy testing has been done for years and years and years. And I've been in the clerk's office for 15 years. And every year we do just do it in the clerk's office, uh, two of us. But I felt if I could ease some concerns, even at the local level, I would do it in public. There are three of us in the audience at Harrigan Centennial Hall for the testing, and it is interesting. This is the first time I've noticed the Dominion brand on the side of the machines. The company has filed two lawsuits against Fox News and its parent company for defamation following the 2020 election when former President Trump claimed the election had been stolen. Fox News propagated that claim despite its being tested and failed in 61 separate court cases between the November election and President Biden's inauguration in January. After Dominion filed its $1.6 billion suit, however, Fox News backpedaled quickly. Although many expect the case will go to trial and that Fox will argue that it was merely reporting the assertions of the president rather than supporting false claims that would have a devastating impact on Dominion. So it's got Sitka 22. But that seems far away from this meeting room in Sitka, where three election officials are spending the afternoon making sure local voters have their say this coming October 4th. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey. And then it's got for precinct, that's the numeric. 
A federal appeals court has ruled that Metlakatla tribal members shouldn't need state permits to fish in waters they've traditionally relied on, even outside their reservation's boundaries. As KRBD's Eric Stone reports, the decision is a significant victory in the tribe's decades-long fight for fishing rights. The Ninth Circuit's 28-page opinion is broad and unambiguous. The 1891 law that created Metlakantla's reservation gives tribal members the right to fish in areas near Ketchikan and Prince of Wales Island, outside the boundaries of the Annette Island Reserve. Metlakantla Mayor Albert Smith says it's a significant win in a decades-long fight for tribal sovereignty. We're still going over it, but we're, we're excited, grateful um, that the Ninth Circuit confirmed our fishing rights. The ancestors of Metlakantla Simshian people relocated from their former home in British Columbia in the late 19th century at the invitation of the U.S. government. In 1891, Congress passed a 101-word statute creating the Annette Islands Reserve, quote, for the use of the Metlakantla Indians. Now, that law does not specifically mention fishing rights, but the tribe argued in its 2020 lawsuit that Congress intended the Annette Islands to be a permanent, self-sustaining home for the tribe, and that that wasn't possible without the ability to fish outside the reservation's marine boundaries. They pointed to past court precedents and 19th century historical records of Metlakantla residents fishing in places like Naha Bay near Ketchikan and Carta Bay on Prince of Wales Island. U.S. District Court Judge John Sedwick sided with the state of Alaska and dismissed the case in February of last year, saying the 1891 law and the historical record didn't imply that Congress granted the tribe off-reservation fishing rights. But the Ninth Circuit disagreed, as Metlakantla's attorney Christopher Lundberg explains. The key question that, that the Ninth Circuit resolved in Metlakantla's favor was, was whether uh, Congress in 1891 granted... Uh, when they established a reservation, also granted the community the right to fish on a non-exclusive basis in waters outside the reservation. The appeals court sent the case back to the district court for further consideration, but Lundberg says the major legal question has been resolved. Alaska Department of Law Communications Director Patty Sullivan, though, called the decision perplexing and disappointing in a written statement. She said the court went out of its way to decide issues that were not before it, misconstrued facts, and misapplied the law. She also said the decision upends the state's efforts to manage its fisheries in line with the state constitution. She said the state is considering whether to appeal the case. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Eric Stone. Mushing icon Lance Mackey passed away last weekend. The 52-year-old holds nearly unimaginable records, having won the 1,000-mile Iditarod sled dog race four years in a row and the 1,000-mile Yukon Quest four years in a row. No one else has come close to that. He also battled drug addiction, cancer, and had an index finger amputated because of Raynaud's syndrome. Mackey is a legend in the mushing world, but not everyone knows that he spent some time in Petersburg in southeast Alaska as a teenager. His mom was a bush pilot and moved there when Mackey was 15 to work for the Alaska Department of Fishing Game. While in Petersburg for about a year, he befriended local resident Greg Lutton. Lutton spoke with Coast Alaska's Angela Denning about those days. We hung out in class together and we played and went to the creek all the time and got in all kinds of trouble. And then uh, the next fall he disappeared and I, I didn't see him again for 25 years and kind of forgot about him. One day I picked up an Anchorage Daily News and was reading about him. And uh, it was reading about how he was going to go in his father's footsteps and try to be in there. I did a Roger stuff. And so I, I got a hold of him. We talked, and he had 109 dogs. It sounded like a real dumpster fire at his house. I mean, I've got two dogs, and I'm in trouble all the time with the neighbors, so I can't imagine what 109 dogs would be like. And so we talked and stuff, and then 
course, it was right after that that everything blew up for him, and he won the Iditarod stuff, so I didn't really bother him a whole lot after that. How would you describe him as a personality? What was he, he like? Was real, he, was, he was pretty quiet. He was really mellow and quiet. Really, really good guy to get along with. He was real easy. Now, when you read the Lance Mackey story, this autobiography um, mm-hmm. that he put out, he talks a lot about just some challenges growing up. His parents got divorced when he was 10, and you know, then he moved to Petersburg. You mentioned getting into trouble, and he mentions that a lot in his book. Like, for example, he mentions when he was 15, he took a skiff from Petersburg to Wrangell without permission for an example. Uh, yeah, you... we did that kind of stuff all the time. So we were in trouble nonstop. We had a couple girlfriends over there, and we were just, just doing anything we could to get over there. Well, in the story, it was that his mom didn't know that he went. Yeah, well, um, yeah, we probably went to Wrangell. Yeah, I'm sure we went. Let me see if I can find that um, page. Have you read his book? No, I haven't. Okay, so he said, I'll read you this part. He said, um, my mother had her pilot's license and had just gotten a job flying patrols with the Alaska Department of Fish and Game. We weren't, he's talking about Petersburg, we weren't there Mm -hmm. two days and I decided to take an unannounced expedition by skiff to wrangle with this guy I'd just met. Yeah, that was me and him, so, yeah. He said, this was the first time I'd ever been on the ocean, much less had any experience with boating or tides. Eventually, my mother found out where I was and tracked me down by telephone in Wrangell. She advised me it was a high tide so that we could get back through the Wrangell Narrows, and I needed to get my butt back to Petersburg. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. He He said, we left Wrangell. But when we didn't show up for days, mom was frantic, flying the beaches, looking for us, holding her breath every time she saw bald eagles feeding on a carcass, figuring that her oldest son was the main course. We had run out of gas and eventually made it back after three days. Naturally, I didn't care at the time that I'd inconvenienced anybody, including my mother. Well, we ran out of gas. We, we, uh, instead of taking a right, we took a left, coming out of Wrangell. And we went all the way around Zerambo Island. Instead of taking a right, we could have made it home, but then we got three-quarters of the way around Zerambo Island. We run out of fuel. And so all of a sudden, it wasn't a half hour later. We're sitting there. Here comes this plane circling us, and it lands. It wasn't him. It was my stepdad, Bill Phillips, and it was Butch Williams. And they handed us two jerry jugs to field and said, get your asses, and they just pointed towards the narrows. And so we took off towards the narrows. So that's how we got back. No one's going to stop us, that's for sure. I'm Brooke Schaefer, and this has been Raven News. Mm-hmm.